I'll be reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 25. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Thank you, Whitney. You know, basketball season's coming upon us. Football season's winding down. And uh, for my kids, you know, we have them in different activities. And my son's starting basketball next week. And so what I told him is that we need to find some basketball shoes, right? And so when we go into the store, as you know, we'll see thousands and thousands, that's maybe an exaggeration, lots of shoes on the wall. But there's all types, all colors, all styles. But each shoe will have what what would be called a trademark, you know, on the shoe, which will identify this shoe with a certain company, with a certain reputation. And you all know how this works. Most of us have a maybe affinity towards certain trademarks, certain types of shoes made by certain companies, and we don't like others. And so when we go into the store, we're going to gravitate towards those shoes with those certain trademarks, you know, that certain logo that identifies itself with a certain company. And that's what a trademark is. A trademark is a, it's a mark, it's a symbol, it's an expression that, uh, that shows you that this product belongs to this company or this manufacturer or this source. And what I want to do this morning is I want to just identify a few trademarks and see if you can guess what they are without me showing you the picture of the trademark. Just think to yourself. Try to answer this question. What trademark is green and has a deer on it? Well, you know, it's, it's John Deere. Now, when you, when you think about that green color, when you think about that deer, that John Deere emblem, that trademark, what comes to your mind? Tractors, farm equipment, lawn equipment, that, that's what, and they're all green. There's green somewhere on that piece of equipment. Now let me give you another one. Alright, there's a piece of fruit and it has a bite taken out of it. It's an apple, right? Apple, the brand apple, and when you think about the brand apple, 
the trademark Apple, what do you think about? You think of electronics, you know, the iPhone, computers, iPads, whatnot. What about for kids, you know, that are still in here? You might know this one, but it's a it's a place you can go, and it has this big M, and the M is kind of a golden color, sometimes referred to as the golden arches. It's McDonald's. You think of Happy Meals and fast food and clowns, you know, McDonald's. And then going back to my shoe idea, you know, there's a there's a trademark that's kind of like a uh, a rounded off check mark. You think of Nike, and when you think of Nike, you think of sports equipment. And so, let's say you really like Nike. Well, when you go to buy my son some shoes, you're going to look at the Nikes. You know, not the Reebok, not the Adidas, but you're going to look at the you're going to look for that little swoosh, a little check mark. Because that's the trademark of Nike. And you think, if it has that swoosh on it, it must be a good product. You know? And that's the purpose of a trademark. It's to identify the product with the source. And now there are some companies you like, and there are some companies you don't like. And that trademark helps you identify what to buy and what not to buy. Right? So if you like the swoosh, you're going with Nike. If you don't, then you're going to avoid the swoosh. But you might say, what, what does this have to do with Christianity? Well, if you belong to God, if you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then there is a trademark that should be ever visible. It should be becoming more and more visible in your life to show the world who you are. There's this trademark on your life. And as we dive into verses 13 through 25... In 1 Peter 1, we're going to find out what that trademark is and how it is displayed in our lives. But first, let me give you some context to the passage. Peter spent the first 12 verses in chapter 1 blessing God and praising these young Christians, these new believers, throughout these church plants in the Roman world. He highlighted the extension of grace that God exercised towards them in the message of the gospel. He highlighted the fruit of the gospel that was being produced in their lives as they dealt with various trials that they faced. He highlighted their love and their trust and their enjoyment of Jesus Christ and spoke about how the prophets and the angels just longed to see how God was going to unfold this redemption story in in the midst of mankind. And now in verse 13, Peter turns a corner in this first chapter of his letter and he begins to tell these young believers how to live out their salvation. Now notice I I didn't say that he's going to tell them how to earn their salvation. And he's not going to tell them how to keep their salvation. But rather he's going to tell them just how to live out their salvation. Live out what is true of them. Because see, in those first few verses in chapter 1, Peter explained really how the saving work of Jesus Christ affects every area of your life. And now he's going to show you how this makes its way out into your life. And Peter spends the remainder of the first chapter explaining how believers, we were were born again to a living hope, it says in chapter 1. We're born again into a living hope. And then what we begin to see is this visible trademark being identified in our lives that we belong to God. And so as we look at this trademark, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see 
that there is an internal dimension to it, there's a vertical dimension to it, and there's a horizontal dimension to it. So let's first look at this, this internal dimension. In 1 Peter 1, verse 13, this is what he says. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So first of all, he starts out with therefore. And as you read your Bible, if, you've ever, if you ever see this word therefore, you need to pause and think, you know, what is the therefore, therefore? And it's therefore to, to take your mind back to what he just said. And he said, this is the great work God has done for you in Jesus Christ. He has caused you to be a new person. Your sin's forgiven. Now you have hope that's firmly placed on Christ. This is yours. You have, a, you have an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled. No one can touch it. Therefore, since you have this, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's telling us, in light of what God has done for us, let us set our hope, our confidence, our assurance on what God is going to do for us through Jesus Christ. And he uses two phrases to describe how we are to set our hope on Christ. First of all, he says, preparing your minds for action. Literally, literally what he's saying there is, gird up the loins of your mind. Now that's, I know it's an interesting picture, but here's where it comes from. In the first century, you would wear long robes, and if you needed to get somewhere quickly, a long robe would be somewhat prohibitive of running, right? And so what you would do is you'd take your robe, you'd pull it up, and you'd tuck it into your belt to expose your legs, right? So you could run. And so what he's saying is, you need to gird up the loins of your mind. You need to be ready, always be looking, discerning, that you are setting your hope on Christ on the grace that Christ is going to bring. And then he explains it a little further when he says, you need to be sober-minded. In other words, you need to be intentional on what you're setting your mind on. And you have a choice. You can set your hope on what Christ is doing, or you can set your hope on something else. You know, I just recently watched a documentary on Skid Row. And Skid Row is a is a five-block area in Los Angeles that has the highest uh, population of homeless in the country. And what this person did in the documentary is he said, I'm going to go and live on Skid Row for a week. And so all he had with him was a book bag, a tent, and $9. And he set out to spend seven days on Skid Row. And as you follow him through this process, you see a number of different interesting things on Skid Row. But one of the things you see is that there are a number of people on Skid Row addicted to drugs. And what you see is that when they, when they either get drunk on alcohol or they take heroin or whatever the drug may be, it causes them to be unable to make good choices. You know, they cannot choose the good that God would have them to choose because of the effects of this substance. And so what Peter's saying here is, in order for you to set your hope on Christ, you need to be sober-minded. You need to guard your mind against 
all of those ideas and those allurements of the world that's, that seek to undermine your confidence in Christ. In other words, you want to avoid all of that which makes sin seem normal. Avoid those ideas in entertaining those ideas that makes sin seem normal. Guard your mind. Be sober-minded. Gird up the loins of your mind. Prepare it and set your hope on the grace. And I love the way he puts that, don't you? Peter could have described salvation and what God was doing through Christ in a number of different ways. And yet he said this, to sum it all up, Peter, if you could just sum up all of what God is doing for us, what would you say? He says, set your hope completely, fully on the grace. If you had to sum up what God's doing, we'd call it, we'd call it grace. And grace, simply put, is a gift. It's, it's something that you give someone you love. It's a good gift that you give someone you love. Not because they've earned it, just because you love them and you want them to have it. And so Peter says... You need to set your mind, set your hope, set your confidence, your assurance on the grace that is yours in Christ. And God is going to bring it to completion at the revelation of Jesus Christ in the future. So, our confidence, our hope must be on the grace, this gift that God will bring us. But in the meantime, between now and when Christ comes back, how do we stay focused on what God has for us. And I mentioned it earlier already, that we must be sober-minded. And as one scholar said, he says, our joyful hope is expressed not in mindless ecstasy, but in alert wisdom that seizes opportunities to serve the Lord. You know, it's interesting. You know, our culture and sometimes the media, they portray Christians as naive or people that don't put much thought into life but rather when we look but when we look at the bible we we see that that's actually the opposite of what it teaches it says actually christian you need to be a very thinking person you need to be very aware of the ideas and what's going on in the culture you need to be very careful on what you set your mind on you need to be discerning on what is good and what is evil And so although our culture sometimes misrepresents Christianity, the Bible says we need to set our hope, we need to gird up our minds, we need to be sober-minded in order for our hope to be firmly placed on Jesus Christ. And it's through this grace that he talks about that we've been born again to a living hope, like you mentioned earlier in chapter 1. And it's interesting that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ then God has not only birthed in you the reality, the reality that, that you are His. Okay, you are His. If, if you have been born again, you've placed your faith in Christ, you are His. You are in His family. You are His child. But He's not only birthed that in you, but He's also given you the ability to have your affections turned toward what pleases Him. So it's not just a positional truth that you were dead in your sin, now you're alive in Christ, you're placed in God's family, but also He is working something out in your life. He's turned your affections, your desires, your thoughts toward Him. 
and what pleases Him. And so this takes us to that vertical dimension in the trademark that I mentioned earlier. There's this vertical dimension that links us to God and it will have horizontal consequences as well. But let's look at this vertical dimension and how it plays out in our lives. In verses 14 through 21, Peter says, As, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So in Christ we've been given new life. However, the memory of the old life remains, does it not? The memory of the old life remains. And so the question is, how do we keep from drifting back into the old way of thinking, the old way of living? Well, Peter says we must not be conformed to the passions of our our former ignorance. And this idea of conforming has this idea of yielding. Don't, don't allow yourself to yield to those ideas, those things that are against God and His ways. That are against who God is and what pleases Him. It says, Christians, if you've been born again to a living hope, you've also had a passion born into you that desires what God desires. And God God not only puts you in His family, but He nurtures you and allows you and gives you the capacity to desire what He desires. So we are to be holy as God is holy. And you know, what, what definition of holiness or to be holy is to be set apart? Which just makes sense. You know, if God is holy, then God is set apart from everything else. He's unique. There's nothing like Him in in creation. And we understand that as Christians. We know that God, there's only one true God and there is no other. There's no one like Him. And yet Peter says, okay, we as Christians should be holy as God is holy. So what does that mean? Well, holiness, you know, it carries with it this idea that there's there's something special and, and there's something that demands special attention. Let me try to explain it in a couple ways to a lesser degree than I'm going to in this passage, but I'll just give you a few illustrations. You know, when you, if you've ever been to a wedding or maybe you've been married or you had a wedding day, you know that day was set apart. You planned for it. You got everything together for it. Everyone dressed up for it. If you're the bride or the groom, you really dressed up for it. Right? And you, you set it aside. It was, it was a holy day in the sense that it was set aside, different from other days. And husbands or wives, you need to remember that day every year, right? Your anniversary. Or there will be consequences. <laughs> but it's, it's a day that has been set apart, different than other days. Or maybe you have inherited or you bought fine china. How often do you eat on your fine china? Probably not every day. Some of you probably never. <laughs> Always been in the buffet or the china cabinet. Well, we have this, what we call Christmas china. And guess when we use it? Christmas. And so that's really the only time we use it. So we have these plates in a drawer that sit there all year long. And then when it's Christmas, we bring out the Christmas china. 
It's special. It's set apart for a specific season and for a specific use. And so there's an idea that there's, it's holy in that it's set apart. Or maybe you all have a formal dining room that no one eats in, right? You don't eat in the formal dining room. What's well, a dining room? I know, but still, you don't eat in there unless we're having a special dinner. Yeah, you can still see the vacuum rows on the rug. You know, no one goes in there. So there's this idea in our culture, even still, we have these ideas of we set things apart for special usage and whatnot. Well, that's a good idea of what holiness means. It means being set apart. And I think that's a good way to see how Peter's using it here in this passage. He's saying that if you have been born again to a living hope, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, then your entire life should be holy. Not just an hour out of the week. Not just when you have the Bible open. But every moment, every day, every thought, every breath should be holy. What does that mean? Set apart for God. You should be holy as God is holy. Everything's set apart for Him. Everything. All the time. G.I. Packer said this. He says, the regenerate heart, and what he means by that is the heart of a Christian, someone who has been given new life, Okay, The regenerate heart desires holiness and can find full contentment only in seeking it. The regenerate heart desires holiness and can find full contentment only in seeking it. What he's saying is, if you are in Christ, holiness is not just a list of what you should do and what you should not do. Even though there's a place for commands in the Bible and in the life of the Christian. But it's more than that. Holiness is a desire. It's a, it's, I want, I want that. I want God. I want to seek His ways. You see the difference between just checking off the list of rules And saying, I actually want to do it. I want to be holy. I want to be like God. I want to reflect who God is to the world. Packer says, for a Christian, you will never be content unless you're pursuing holiness. Because holiness is a reflection of who God is. And that's who we most desire. And so it begins with a shifting. When you come to Christ, there's a shifting of your desire through the saving grace of God. And then it makes your way, it makes its way through all your actions, your thoughts, your behaviors, etc. So what what does this actually look like in the life of a Christian? You're going back to the trademark idea. When, When something has that trademark on it, you expect certain qualities to be true of it. There's a reputation there whether it's a piece of clothing or a tractor or a sandwich, whatever it may be, if it has that trademark, you're expecting a certain level of quality. 
You're expecting certain things to be true of it. And so as products of God's grace, if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, if you've accepted Christ into your life, as products of God's grace, ransom with the precious blood of Christ, as Peter says, we bear His trademark of holiness. If you're a Christian, you bear God's trademark of holiness. And therefore, we should reflect the character of our Maker. We are the product of His grace. And therefore, we should reflect the character of our Maker. Now, how do we do that? How do we live that out? How do do we start reflecting that? Well, primarily, you need to know who God is. If you're going to reflect the character of God, you need to know God. And the primary way you know God is through the Scripture. And so if you want to grow in holiness, if you want to grow in your capacity and ability to to showcase God in your life, you need to know who He is. You need to read and absorb the Scripture. It's like Alex talked about earlier. You can't just eat candy. That's not going to grow you in holiness. You need what your soul needs, and that is the Scripture and the person of God. And so you need to read and absorb the truths of God. And also for holiness to find its full realization, it must be demonstrated. It must come in and be absorbed, and then it must be demonstrated. Holiness is that vertical dimension that starts with our relationship with God. It's that vertical dimension of the trademark, but it produces horizontal characteristics. So another way we grow in holiness is by allowing the truths of God to affect our actions. Listen to Peter when he writes this in verses 22 through 25. He says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this Word is the good news that was preached to you. So first we see holiness produces love. That's what it does. Holiness produces love. We love Because God first loved us. Others can experience our love because we've experienced God's love for us in Christ. If you've placed your faith in in Christ, he says, then you have purified your souls and you now have the capacity to love as God loves. This idea of purification, he's drawing from the Old Testament. This idea of Old Testament washing to purify yourself so you can enter into the religious ceremony. So what Peter's saying is, you have been purified through your obedience to the gospel. When you placed your faith in Christ, then you had your soul purified. And what that did is that put you in a position now to love as Christ loves. That puts you in a position now to reflect who God is to the people around you. And now we're free to give ourselves to others because we've been born again by the Word of God. The imperishable seed. Which means that we have this life that is it's not subject to decay. 
you know, we have been brought to life through the Word of God, which produces eternal life and does not decay. And so our hope is set on the grace that is to be brought to us in Jesus Christ. We have this desire as Christians to be holy, to be like God because we love God, and we've experienced His love for us in Christ, and that makes its way out by how we love one another. Now here's the question that we need to ask ourselves, and that is, is God's trademark on us? You know, I spent a, some time in New York City, and maybe you have as well. And if you've ever been to Chinatown, there's an in- interesting phenomenon in Chinatown. You can buy expensive brand-named items for very cheap prices. You notice this? You go to Chinatown, and you can get these expensive Rolexes. All these expensive, for like $10. How is that possible? We know, what, we know how that's possible. Right? Because what you do is you take a product that kind of looks like the real thing and you just stamp the trademark on it. And then you sell it. It's a counterfeit. It's a fake. And I think if we're honest... We have to say that just because we use the term Christian or we do things that Christians do, like go to church, etc., doesn't mean that we are the real thing. Just because we copy some of the trademark doesn't mean that we are the authentic product. We may say, well, Ron... How do I know if I'm the real deal? Well, just ask yourself. Is your hope set on the grace that is coming to those who have faith in Jesus Christ when He returns? Is that your assurance, your confidence, your hope? Do you desire holiness? Do you want what God wants? Do you have that desire within you? Do you love those around you? Now we all know that we do not maintain those things perfectly. But I think what Peter's saying here is that there's at least a seed of that in our lives. That there is a moving in that direction. And if we're not moving in that direction, we have to ask ourselves, perhaps I have stolen some of the trademark, but I'm really not made of the Maker. I'm really not born again. And that's a question each of us needs to ask ourselves. So is God's trademark on you? When people interact with you, do they notice the mark of Christ? And my prayer is that as we interact with one another and as we interact with the world, that people will say what they said of Peter and John in Acts 4, verse 13. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. 
So may the trademark of God be evident in all of our lives. Let us pray. Lord, we come to you thanking you for your mercy and your grace, realizing that we would never set our hope on Christ. We would never desire holiness and we would never love those who are unlovely without your grace. Without that imperishable seed of your word speaking life into our souls, enabling us to place our faith in Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness, receive new life and new desire to seek the things that please you. Not out of a legalistic obedience, but rather because we love you. We're grateful for what you've done. Lord, I pray for each person here as we evaluate our own souls that we would ask ourselves, is your trademark on us? Is Christ our hope? Do we desire holiness? Do we demonstrate love to the unlovely? And Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would apply your grace and your redeeming work in each of our lives in the way you see fit, that you would receive the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.